Welcome back to The Common Christian Diet. Special thanks to Debbie Forrest for the intro music. I'm Paige, and this is the fifth episode in the series. Now, I always encourage new listeners to start from the beginning, because this podcast is actually one giant testimony, and it will make a lot more sense if you listen in order. So far, we've covered the idea of wanting to get healthy, both physically and spiritually. Lots of times we know we need to make changes in our lives, and we talk about it a lot, but the first episode is about getting started. Next, we talked about stepping on the scale, which is finding our starting point. It's about asking ourselves the questions. How big is this problem in my life? How far away am I from where I should be? How far away am I from the Lord? In the third episode, we set some goals and talked about the challenges we would face. Because, well, if change was easy, we'd have done it already. So the third episode gives some tips on overcoming obstacles. The last episode introduces Jesus and explains why he is the perfect personal trainer for our lives. No matter what changes we need to make, Jesus will guide us. Many of us think we know Jesus, but we haven't put him in charge of our lives. Making Jesus the personal trainer of our lives means turning to him for advice, letting him guide our moves, and trusting him when he pushes us further than we've ever gone before. One of the most important things I have learned in my life is that believing Jesus exists and following him are not the same thing. I used to think I followed Christ, but in my mid-30s, I realized that I wasn't following him at all because I didn't know anything he taught. It would be like hiring a personal trainer and then never showing up to any of the sessions. Hiring the trainer is a good first step, but it's important to also follow the trainer's instructions. I had been going to church, but I really didn't know Jesus. To get to know him, I had to identify all the obstacles, distractions, and outright lies that kept me from focusing on who Jesus is, and I had to learn to listen to him. There is a lie out there in the world that says God doesn't speak to his people anymore. But how can Jesus be the personal trainer of our lives if he can't communicate with us? Today, we are going to talk about all the things we listen to on a daily basis and how they influence us. This episode is called Your Playlist. Everything we listen to has power, whether it's our friends, parents, commercials, radio, the coworker who's constantly complaining, even the stranger in line ahead of us at the grocery store. Words are powerful. If they weren't, there'd be no such thing as a famous quote. Often we think about the power of words in critical moments, like the speech in the locker room before a playoff game, the marriage proposal, the call to let you know if you got the job or the diagnosis from the doctor. But we almost never think about the power of words in the non-critical mundane moments of life. Our playlist is made up of words spoken daily by our friends and family, songs on the radio, our co-workers, and in the movies we watch. Simple words spoken over and over again gradually shape our thoughts and opinions. If we could assign a power value to words, we could say words spoken in critical moments have a thousand horsepower, strong enough to make a lasting impact. Now, Simple words in mundane moments might only have one horsepower each, but we hear them a thousand times. This power is more subtle, but it will gradually influence us over time without us even noticing. Sometimes we agree with what others think and we're not really sure why. And sometimes the things we agree with aren't even true. Picture the word schizophrenia. Now, maybe you've taken some psychology courses and you already know the definition, but lots of people think that if you have schizophrenia, you have multiple personalities. Why? Because of the popular slogan that says, I'm schizophrenic and so am I. 
The phrase was funny and it got popular. People heard it over and over and even repeated it themselves. It didn't matter if it was the official definition. When it became popular, many people took it as fact. Now, let's talk about the dieting world. People today often think that if you want to go on a diet, it has to be low-carb. The low-carb trend is everywhere and has become so popular that if you want to start eating healthy, chances are you'll be directed towards a low-carb solution. If you do an internet search on the word diet, your screen will be filled with references to low-carb eating. If you mention to a friend that you're going to lose a few pounds, they will probably ask you if you've tried keto. If you go to the health food section of a grocery store, you'll find the shelves stocked with labels like High Protein, Atkins, and South Beach. Our playlist on dieting is full of low-carb messages, but does that mean everyone has to eat low-carb to be healthy? We may feel pressure to cut carbs, but are all carbs created equal? Do we really understand what ketosis means and whether or not it's good for our bodies? Just like most messages we hear, we need to be able to understand the facts and apply them to our situation. For example, there are both quote-unquote good and bad carbs. Sugar is a bad carbohydrate and the average American diet contains way too much of it. Our cereals are loaded with it and added sugars are hiding in everyday foods including things like ketchup and peanut butter. When we focus on cutting carbohydrates, we remove excess sugar and other bad carbs from our diets and that's a good thing. So there can be several health benefits from eating a low-carb diet and a lot of people lose weight on them. But what about good carbs? Vegetables, fruits, rice and whole grains? And how do I get enough fiber in my diet if I'm counting carbs? The low-carb messages leave some people confused. They think, I want to lose weight, but this doesn't look anything like the food pyramid I'm used to. The power of the low-carb message can actually cause people to stop eating foods that are healthy and good for them simply to hit some magic protein-to-carbohydrate ratio. While low-carb dieting can be healthy, there are also several ways to get it wrong. All meat all the time is technically low-carb, but not exactly healthy. The right answer will look different for different people, and that's why we have to understand the facts and apply them to our individual situations in order to make good choices. Another way we can be influenced by hearing the low-carb messages over and over again is that we can begin thinking everyone should be following some flavor of a keto-style diet. I was having lunch with a friend once, and she wrinkled her nose at my plate as our food was being delivered to our table. I had ordered a salad, and it came with a piece of French bread, which I ate and enjoyed very much. She didn't say it, but knowing my friend, I sensed that she was upset I was eating bread. Her mood changed, as if I was committing a sin in her presence. Now, before you start feeling bad for my friend, let me explain that she is a very healthy person who watches everything she eats. I wasn't eating bread in front of someone who is struggling with their weight or has health issues. I was eating bread in front of someone who was simply choosing not to eat bread. I love my friend, but in my head I was laughing because we were having lunch at a place called Panera Bread. I was not going to feel guilty about eating bread in a restaurant that is literally named after it. I am not against low-carb diets, but I do not live a low-carb life. I eat spaghetti and goulash with Texas-shaped pasta. I just do it in moderation. I don't limit fruits and vegetables trying to keep my carb-to-protein ratio below some magic number. And there's a decent chance I'll continue to eat Jif peanut butter for the rest of my life. I am not influenced by low-carb advertising, the health food section at a grocery store, or my well-intentioned keto-loving friends because I have already sorted through the information and made decisions about what is right for me. I've studied good carbs and bad carbs, protein and fats, and I've found a balance that fits my lifestyle. For instance, I don't count carbs, but I do pay attention to how much sugar I consume. 
I maintain a healthy weight, I live an active life, and my vitals are all in the normal ranges. So if I want to order bread with my salad, I do. The popularity of low-carb dieting doesn't make it the right answer for everyone. People need to be aware of their playlist, what messages they are listening to, and how they are influenced by it. Now, how does all this apply to my spiritual life? When it comes to Christianity, most people never stop to ask themselves why they believe what they believe. Many things people say about God and about Christians have become popular, but how many of them are accurate? They may sound right, especially when we hear them over and over again, but what are these ideas based on? Whether we realize it or not, many of our views about God and Christianity come through the lens of someone else's opinions. I didn't grow up learning about God in church, so I got all my nuggets of information from my playlist, my friends and family, the shows I watched on TV, and songs I listened to. Their opinions about God became my opinions about God. I naturally assumed that if the message was popular, it must be true. But was it biblical? Was it accurate? Did it align with God's character? What did God's word have to say about it? But God's word wasn't in my playlist. God's word? What did that even mean? I knew about the Bible, but I had never read it. Growing up, I had heard there were a lot of contradictions in the Bible and that most of it couldn't be true, so I never bothered to open it. Popular opinion is that we don't need to read the Bible. I have a lot to say about that, but I will be dedicating an entire episode to the Bible in a few weeks, so I'll wait until then. Not knowing the Word of God was like not knowing which carbohydrates to eat and which ones to avoid. I knew the popular opinion, but I didn't know God's opinion. By the time I was a young adult, I was following along with what most people believe. Messages like, if God is so good, why is the world so bad? Or, God forgives us for all our sins, so it doesn't matter what we do. Or, I've tried prayer, but it doesn't really work. But prayer does work, right? I mean, I hoped it did. I had been influenced for years by the power of popular opinion. I had negative opinions of God, and I had negative attitudes towards Christians. I didn't really think God was there for me. I prayed, but I got mad when I didn't get what I wanted. And I thought Christians were too judgmental and I didn't want to associate with them. I needed God's word in my playlist to find the truth. I needed to hear from God. But wait, hearing from God? That can't happen. People had always told me that nobody really hears from God, and if they do, they're just crazy. I knew the popular opinion. But in my mid-30s, I started wanting God's opinion in my life. Something in me knew God was good, even though the world is bad. Something in me knew I couldn't keep living in sin, even though God forgives. And something in me wanted to hear from God, even before I was sure that was even a thing. What would it be like to hear from God? How would I know it was Him? Would people think I was crazy? When I began seeking God, He began to show up. He began to open doors for me and bring people into my life that could answer my questions and put me on the right path. I found a lot of answers during a women's Bible study. It was the first Bible study I had ever done, and I found myself sitting with a group of strangers. I felt uneasy, uncomfortable, unprepared, and completely out of place, but those are often the emotions we feel when God is trying to stretch us and make us grow. The study was based on a book called What Happens When Women Say Yes to God by Lisa Turkhurst. The study was perfect for a beginner like me. It started with the basics about discerning God's voice. Yes, God speaks to his children and his words have real power. The idea of God talking to his children aligns both with scripture and with God's character, even though it doesn't align with popular opinion. I think some of us worry that if God speaks, it will be this booming, audible voice that comes down through the ceiling. 
Often, he speaks to us by giving us feelings or convictions, by putting thoughts in our heads or reminding us of a recent conversation with a friend. He also uses memories, dreams, songs on the radio, and other people to tell us things. God's playlist is unlimited, and over time, we will discern how he communicates with each of us. I have personally never heard a booming voice from the ceiling, unless it was my son calling from his bedroom upstairs, probably because he ran out of socks or something. My next story takes place several years ago, while I was in my very first Bible study learning to discern God's voice. I was a single mother with a young son and a job that was eating me alive. I was still learning how to turn my life over to God, and my life was a pretty big mess. This story is called, God Doesn't Ramble. God didn't speak, he yelled. He didn't ramble, just burned two short words into my mind that told me I needed to pay attention. Growing up, I always thought that God's word was only spoken to his special forces through prophets or amazing events like the burning bush. Thanks to Jesus, we all have the ability to hear from God, and it takes faith not only to hear his voice, but also to realize you're not crazy when you do. I was finally learning to converse with God instead of simply using my prayer time to ask for things I wanted. I was near the end of an eight-week Bible study on discerning God's voice. I took my study seriously and made time each night to practice listening. I focused on a problem in my life and prayed for direction. At first, my skepticism held my attention and my own thoughts seemed to shout, but I kept trying. Days later, when an answer to a particular problem finally came, my inner skeptic shrank. It was simply a thought in my mind, but it wasn't my own. My new nightly routine after putting my son to bed included studying my weekly chapter, prayer, quiet listening, and then some TV. I'm not much of a TV watcher, and I don't like horror shows, but I had recently downloaded a new series that many people were talking about. To me, it was a gruesome show that turned my stomach, and yet I watched several episodes through mostly closed eyes. Morbid curiosity, I guess. Like staring at a car accident, even though you don't really want to see what happened. I hated everything I saw, and yet I continued streaming new episodes, wondering what I might see next. Until God stepped in. Barely minutes into the latest bloodletting, I was overcome with the words, delete it. I more felt the words than heard them. I had no question who they were from. I paused the show and sat stunned for a moment. I wasn't sure what to do. I think God just yelled at me. Replaying his words over and over again in my mind, I began deleting every episode as I had been instructed. But what did it mean? Was the show evil? Were any of his children allowed to watch it? Are all horror shows banned or just this one? God didn't explain his reasons, but I assumed he wanted me to pay more attention to what I was feeding my mind. I should think twice about the shows I watch and the books I read and the things I listen to. God's words that night felt harsh, but I thought about many other examples when heavenly interactions brought comfort. Prior to the study on discerning God's voice, I was unable to recognize God at work in my life, and I neglected to give him credit for things like blessings and answered prayers. One example occurred when I was heavily pregnant and lost my beloved grandfather. He was 90 years old with advanced Alzheimer's. I was ready to let him go, but he was being delivered into heaven from Michigan while I was ready to deliver my baby in Texas. Though my family and I agreed I should not travel for the funeral, I was devastated, far beyond the pregnancy hormones, that I was not there to grieve with my loved ones. I longed to say goodbye to a man who no longer knew me but would forever play a key role in my memories. 
A few short weeks after my son was born, in a rare moment of sleep, I found myself standing in that kitchen I knew so well where I could always smell Grandma's fresh-baked bread and steal chocolate goodies from the candy dish. When my grandfather entered the room, I knew immediately that I was dreaming. He had always been a man of few words, and true to his nature, we didn't speak. But he knew exactly who I was. We hugged for a long time, much more tightly than I ever remember hugging in real life. I knew I was asleep, and that this was our chance to say goodbye, and that he knew how much I loved him. I shared my dream many times over the years without realizing who was really behind my gift. I focused on my grandfather, and I always gave him the credit, but it was God who brought me comfort, and I never even thanked him. The more I learned about God, the more I recognized his fingerprints all over my life. That dream was one of many ways he spoke to me before I was open to hearing from him. I want to hear from God, but I often struggle hushing the inner me long enough to listen. When I pray, some things are instantly clear, some things take more effort, and sometimes I feel like the answers will never come. God doesn't ramble. He chooses his communication carefully, and timing is based on a clock we can't read. Lack of answers do not equate to a lack of response. But I was still new at talking with God instead of just talking to him, and I really wasn't sure how everything was supposed to work. At one point, after realizing I had spent eight years of my life working for the wrong company, I prayerfully focused on God's true plans for me. He had already made it clear I would need to quit my job. But was he going to open another door for me? Was I supposed to take some time off? Full-time volunteer work? Join the circus? I really didn't know, but I did not want to disappoint God with my choices again. I had been seeking answers for weeks, and my heart was truly open to his direction. But I couldn't read the compass, and I was afraid to move. Should I contact a recruiter? Sit back and wait for a door to open? What do circus performers make these days anyway? I continued praying about it during one of my jogs to the neighborhood. Running is my favorite time to converse with God because I leave my phone at home and I'm too far away to hear the laundry bell ding. The run started with music on my iPod and light conversation. I was filling God in on my thoughts and worries. Then I began to pray for guidance. Hard. So hard, I caught myself a few times inadvertently making frowny faces at my neighbors as I passed by. God, help me understand what I should do next. I don't want to screw up again. I'm willing, Lord. Please guide me. I felt the urge to turn off my music. Of course. I wanted his attention, and he deserved mine. I continued repeating my pleas over and over again. As I approached the last stretch of my run and was heading towards the street I lived on, I was still asking God what he wanted me to do. The words, go left, entered my thoughts. Very funny, God. I know where my house is. But in the last half-mile home, I experienced peace. My music was off, and I stopped praying and just listened to the pattern of my feet on the sidewalk. I suddenly realized he was telling me I just needed to go home. My answer was not going to come today, but I had peace that God heard me. I had confidence he would answer me eventually, and for now, I was simply supposed to turn left, go home, and wait. I wrote that story about five years ago, and it is still true that sometimes God speaks clearly. Sometimes I think he told me something, but I'm not quite sure, and sometimes he just says wait. I don't know why I used to think God was mute. Like God can hear my prayers, but he can't talk back, as if he somehow lacks the technology? Growing up, my opinions of God were not always favorable. I learned that my opinions had been shaped by what I was listening to, and I was not listening to God. 
Reading the Bible and learning to listen when I pray helped me reshape my opinion of God and what He was doing in my life. My old playlist taught me about a distant God, about a God that didn't really care about me or my problems. My old playlist told me I had to be independent and take care of myself. My new playlist tells me God is with me, God loves me, and God is way better at being in control of my life than I am. His word is the most powerful message we could want to hear. It's bigger than the coach in the locker room, the boss letting us go, or any news from the doctor. And his words are more powerful than any message we see on TV, hear in our music, or listen to from friends. When we add God's word to our playlist, we can tune out the rest of the voices and stop being influenced by popular opinion. I have one Bible verse for us before we close. It's from Hebrews 4.7. It says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I hope you'll come back for the next episode when we talk about our workout partners. Thanks for listening. I'm Paige, and this is The Common Christian Diet. Every day.